0: Welcome to the Roadie Friday Podcast with your hosts, Darren Makins and Jose Escogero. Have you heard this story? I heard it this morning. Yeah. <laughs> because, they, because then he was telling me that there's fans that have FP. Uh, yeah. on the knuckles and it's always like do you know what that means is jose it oh there we go okay now i got
1: both of you on here what's up jose <laughs> what's up all good how you doing good man good to meet you Nice to meet you
0: have you guys met each other yet
1: huh? no
0: nope, first time okay well fuck yeah you guys are both homies and uh evan's one of those dudes that i uh we toured together on the uh, trinity tour but like evan's one of those dudes that i can literally talk to for hours and just not run oh. out of topics to talk about like nice. i sweat like you and kevin in my opinion both have the same personality you're like you're golden retrievers <laughs> you're you're just always happy to see people
1: <laughs> yeah dude me kevin uh, kevin and i hit it off immediately right away upon meeting each other to no surprise we immediately became kevin ev and it's been it's been love ever since hell yeah so uh you got you you uh you and him met
0: each other in the lilith tour or was there any other prior history
1: nope i i met kevin um when we so when lilith started working in again after the pandemic our first run was with uh hailstorm and evanescence doing uh arenas which was pretty incredible opportunity. Um, and Kevin got brought in via um, this guy who used to play guitar for Lilith um, when she was operating as Juliet at the time and is was still kind of acting MD um, for the project. He now plays guitar for Avril Lavigne, which is pretty dope. Yeah, fuck yeah. But him, his name is David, him and Kevin went to Berkeley together at the same time. So... When Lilith needed a front of house person, um, he called up Kevin, and we met him kind of sight unseen in the hotel room to start off the run. And yeah, it was great. Kevin's Kevin's an absolute alien in the all the best possible ways. No, for sure. He's he's definitely a quirky dude, but he's one of my favorite human beings. Dude, he's he's great, and he's so good at what he does. I mean, I have he's no so doubt and you've you've witnessed how much of an audiophile that guy is. And it was it was an absolute pleasure. As somebody who, like, I know a little bit about, you know, audio and the ins and outs, a little. um, And to watch him every night go into these arenas where, you know, the other headlining bands had every piece of gear that you could imagine and just all top of the line massive desks and outboard gear and all this stuff. And to watch him go out there first of three with uh half broken uh x32 and mix these shows and have people come up to him after and be like what the fuck you're on a x32 out here and he's just like yeah this is what i got
0: <laughs> hell yeah so uh Evan, why don't we go ahead, uh, there are a few topics that I wanted to specifically talk to you about, but um, why don't you go ahead and give us just kind of the the rundown of your career and how you got started in this industry?
1: Sure. Um, so I've been playing guitar since I was 11 years old. Um, I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska, so I started when I was a kid. My cousin and I just got interested in it at the same time, and... From then on, I got involved in, like, music programs um, in the area and started playing, you know, live shows and bands from the time that I was about 12, um, which was great exposure and was, like, very, very good for getting me kind of used to that sort of environment. Um, And for 10 years, I pretty much did that, and um, I was never properly musically trained. I took lessons, but my teacher you know looking back I applaud him a lot for this because right from the get-go he was just kind of curious as to what songs I wanted to learn and what bands I was into and so instead of my first couple of lessons being like all right here's you know here's the scales and here's the note names on the fretboard and stuff like that he was like oh you like ACDC all right well here's how you play TNT and here's how you play you know I would just bring songs into him and he would teach me how to play them. So it was immediately a way to be interested in how to make what I was already enjoying listening to come out of myself on the instrument. Um, So in 2017, I moved from Lincoln, Nebraska, where I'd lived my whole life to Hollywood, California to attend the musicians Institute. Um, I got an associate's degree in guitar performance there. And that was for the first time where I really started learning Music theory and um, you know harmony and theory and kind of the more fundamental elements of music. Um, I was fortunate enough, as I was graduating about two years later, um, to get thrown into the mix of an audition that ended up being for Juliet Sims, who is now operating as Lil Azar. um I, excuse me, got that gig, and we immediately in the summer of 2019 went out and did uh, this festival tour that was a bit of a warp tour revival kind of set up. It was called the rockstar disrupt tour. Um, it was like a festival run in amphitheaters with the used and some 41 and thrice, and just like a whole host of incredible bands, many of which I'd been listening to leading up to this point as well. So it was like a very incredible situation to, um, to be a part of for my first tour of that caliber. Um, so played played in that, you know, project. The I shortly after that started playing bass with Hyro the Hero via meeting them. Uh we shared a bus with the those guys on this Rockstar Disrupt tour with Juliet. Um they had somebody leave and did a kind of a lineup swap a little bit. They brought me in to play bass. I went and did Ship Rock with them at the top of 2020. And then the pandemic happened. Um and then first thing out the gate from the pandemic was this Evanescence and Hailstorm run with Lilith, which again, absolutely incredible opportunity. Um throughout the next course of the year, we did the first opening slot on the first run of the Trinity of Terror tour. So it was Lilith, Ice Nine Kills, Motionless and White and Blackfield Rides. Um and then we did a bunch more touring throughout that year with uh hailstorm and the pretty reckless and uh the warning and just a lot lots of really awesome performing opportunities but along the way i ended up meeting a couple of really fantastic mutual friends of ours now darren and um alex mungle and chris Leplant plant and ben bowers and some of these just like all lovely lovely gentlemen wonderful human beings um and it was a uh at the time of the first leg of the Trinity tour, um, Crystal Plant and Alex and Ben were all also working uh with the Asking Alexandria camp. And I ended up having a conversation with Ben after a show one day, um, and s- somehow the idea came up of me potentially filling in for a guitar teching slot for Asking Alexandria that Ben was gonna have to miss. And I'd never, I've never, like properly teched for somebody else before. Um, I've always teched my own gear. Um, I tech and have been teching um, Lilith's stuff since I started working with her. Um, more along basic lines of just you know keeping instruments clean and strings changed and in tune and that sort of thing. So I already n- knew kind of how to do some of the basic elements, but I just never thought of myself outside of the guitar player role and never entertained it before so once it came on my radar especially for a band of that caliber that I, you know, respect and appreciate so much it was kind of an eye-opening conversation to have and as the universe would have it that particular opportunity didn't pan out so I thought, you know, okay, well now it's on my radar or something I could think about in the future so I moved on continuing to do the festival season with Lilith. And we did Louder Than Life last year. And I was sitting in a, a, ho- like a hotel lobby the morning after we had done that, getting ready to fly back to L.A. for the time being. And Crystal Plant hit me up and said that he was out with Asking Alexandria, who was co-headlining with Nothing More, and Atreyu was on the run as well. And he said that the run was a couple of weeks in and Atreyu was having some trouble with their guitar tech. And he was curious if I could come out and, you know, kind of fill, fill that slot and pick up the slack. So I, you know, said yes. And in two days I went from being in that hotel lobby to flying back to LA gathering some clothes and some, tools that I had around, and then a day later, I was in uh, New Jersey, I believe, um, on my first show working as a guitar tech with Atreyu. Um, And from that moment, I've just kind of parlayed multiple other tours with Atreyu that have all been fantastic. Um, In the same year, I ended up doing some tech work for The Warning, um, started working with The Struts, who I still... Um, have been touring with this year and yeah, man, it's been kind of an unexpected ride as far as this teching portion of things is concerned, but I'm so unbelievably grateful for the opportunities that it's led to for me, the knowledge that I've gained and the people that I've got to work around since then.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's kind of how most techs end up being techs is their musicians first. And then mm-hmm. just kind of and a tech opportunity falls in your lap and you're just like, okay, I could probably go and do this for a while, you know, while I figure yeah. out the musician thing. But then, um, I, I genuinely enjoy being, a being a tech. And then on top of like, Seeing the things that uh, musicians go through, like especially like spending hours after the show meeting with fans and doing all the VIPs and meet and greets, and they're super grateful for the opportunities and the fact that people want to meet them, but at the same time, it's exhausting. Like they're just they're it's mm-hmm. it's it's tiring. Like spending two hours a day just talking to people.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of tiring elements to it. Along with the rewarding elements, but you know, it's kind of, you definitely, there's both sides to it.
0: So, how do you balance being a musician and also being a tech? Like, does one take precedence over the other one, or is it just kind of like whoever books you first?
1: I'm still very much in the throes of figuring that out. I've now, for sure, I've now only been teching for somewhere in the ballpark of a year and a half. Um, and I thought when I accepted the f- initial gig with Atreyu that. Playing always takes precedence over teching no matter what. And that's just kind of a general rule. Well, then I started running into situations where it was like, okay, here's a playing opportunity for two weeks or there's a teching opportunity for two months. And, you know, it's no secret amongst people in the industry that typically tech rates are higher than playing rates. And that just kind of is what it is. Um, So it has been a balance for me of figuring out, not by any means that the money factor is the dominating role, but, you know, like in that example that I threw out, that was a, a difference of a longer period of consistent work versus a shorter period of consistent work. So that was the first time that I thought, okay, maybe... Maybe playing versus teching isn't always just the blanket easy, you know, decision to make here.
2: Yeah, it's not, not so, as black
1: and white as it seems. No, and I, I wish that that was the case. Um, but at least over this year and a half, the way that it's played out is that my, you know, my phone has been ringing more for tech opportunities than it has playing. Um, and I just have been trying to capitalize as much on the opportunities that are coming my way as possible. And that's absolutely not to say that I wouldn't jump at further opportunities to play because, you know, that's still my, my number one goal and my number one passion. Um, but I still adhere to the thought that it cannot hurt to accept tech roles have conversations with the people who are in these other bands and crews that I'm working with and about the fact that I'm still looking for playing gigs. Um, and I like, I don't want to make this sound any sort of odd way, but I also don't hate that when I go out to sound check for the five minutes or whatever that I get to play during the day through the PA that, you know, sometimes I'll have people come up to me and be like, what the fuck? Why are you, like what are you doing teching up here? you know so i i can't I can't help but think that eventually that can lead into other situations where I'm able to just like stay out on the road more. I'm able to stay relevant in people's minds more, and if that means that I'm relevant in people's minds for tech opportunities with awesome bands, then that's great, and if it also leads into situations where someone thinks hey that that guy who was teching for whoever. Was like ripping in soundcheck. He could probably do this, you know, do this thing. I'm not gonna be mad about that one bit either.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, especially uh, I, I like the fact that you that you said staying relevant in people's minds. Just because that is mm-hmm. like, you know, if I don't see anybody, if if there's a particular person that I don't see out on the road, uh, for like an extended period or something, you know, it, it's 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 e- I don't want to say it's like easy to forget somebody, but it's just like, if I'm looking for somebody to like fill in on a gig or something and, you know, because I, I know Jose knows this uh, just as well, because I'm sure he's getting just as many phone calls, but I can't tell you how much I've had to turn down within the past couple of months, simply Mm -hmm. because of availability. And I mean, just, I happened to land on this black veil gig um, because I did the week with them in Mexico And then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that went, that went so well and they already had somebody locked in for this, uh, North American tour, this North American run that we're on right now that ended up not working out and I was not available until a certain time. So then I recommended somebody else. And so I thought like, I was like, Oh, I'll just throw this guy out there and you know, it'll be all good. And so then, um, it just kind of worked out like I happen to be available, uh, available. Unfortunately, I have to jump off for the final week or so of dates. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think they have somebody else locked in. You know, I'm just, I'm super fortunate that it worked out. These it's, it's, it's a great gig. I love, I love working with this crew. Like I, I'm legitimately friends with everybody on this crew. So, and it, it just makes the tour that much easier when you're like, when you're friends with everybody and everybody gets along.
1: Absolutely. And um, I tell you what, that's another thing that I'm figuring out in regards to um, the teching versus playing conversation is that uh, earlier this year, I kind of had a little bit of a soul searching moment where I was teching a lot and I was finding myself missing playing. And then I went out to do a particular gig where I was teching and it was for the first time I was not only guitar teching, but I was doing full backline. So I was drum teching for the first time. And I was kind of not at the time official stage manager, but was kind of, you know, pseudo watching over things position. And went and did a festival. And in the midst of being, you know, gone in the festival, there was like an important family wedding that I had missed out on. And I, you know, was kind of unsure if I wanted to do drum teching as well um and i left that situation for the first time not feeling very good about the things that i was sort of sacrificing to be in that position and that sort of led me to kind of evaluating um what what i need to have going on in the experience to justify the tolls that touring takes as far as sacrificing being around people or missing out on certain events And whereas before, you know, I never had to think about it because when I was missing certain things or being gone for extended periods of time, I was playing guitar, I was playing in front of, you know, a lot of people in some really amazing venues, and it was just kind of a a no-brainer, like, yeah, this is justified. And then I left that particular gigging situation feeling like I just missed... You know, this important event that I would lo- have loved you to be a part of and spending time away for what I felt was like putting drumsticks in a holder and taping set lists to the ground and handing out towels. And I just kind of had this like, this ain't it. Like, this, this, it's officially not justified. Um, so I'm happy to say that that was just kind of like a particular moment where. I'm glad it happened because it, it kind of realigned my focuses and the things that I need to take inventory on if I'm going to accept, you know, work like this. And the, the good, you know, ending of that story is that that particular gig turned into a longer stretch of work that I actually ended up really, really enjoying a lot and That's benefited great. from a lot. Um, And now I have the ability to go into other potential gigs with, some experience with drum teching and stage managing and like these different things. So it was a, a stressful moment in time, but I'm so glad that it worked out the way that it did. And I'm so glad that I ended up not sort of leaving that opportunity um, because of those things and was able to kind of parlay
2: it and do a gig that I really, really enjoy doing now. Yeah. That's cool. I'm glad you touched on that. Cause like, yeah, touring even in the best of circumstances is like, difficult it's like it's real mm-hmm. like and i i remember uh people like to describe it as like oh you put your your life on pause and then you go tour and then you come back but it's like that's not the case at all it's like the your life doesn't get paused it just goes on without you and it's such a, huge a good point sh- yeah like the sacrifices that you make like it like comes in the time and uh you know being with the people you love is is so huge mhm yep it's so true and
1: and to like add one other small point to what i was saying was that and what you're saying Jose is um that along with what i'm doing needing to be justified um i'm finding especially when it comes to teching that it works out so much better for me if i'm doing it for people that i really enjoy yeah. doing it for um i'm so unbelievably fortunate that my first, you know, real shot at this was with Atreyu, and you know, Darren, you can attest to this. The Atreyu camp and those band members and everybody are just the most wonderful, cool, fun, like down to
2: earth people you could ever want to be around. Yeah, they're awesome. I actually actually got texted to do that tour that you got on. uh Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But the day that they texted me, I had like literally just landed like for rehearsals on another tour that Darren was oh. there for. Oh shit.
0: That's yeah. right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And yeah. so in in that I'm so happy to be able to, if I was, if I was doing this kind of work for people who I didn't like as much as them, um, be miserable. I don't think it would be justified, but because I'm so like, I have so much respect for those people or those guys as human beings and for the music that they make. And, It's just a pleasure to be able to, if I'm not going to be playing at the time, it's a pleasure to be able to be in that position, helping those guys to put on the show that they've worked so hard and spent so so many years, you know, putting together without having to worry about, you know, things being connected properly or, you know, they just, we've established a level of trust now that they know that when I'm on stage with them, they're, they're going to be fine. And that's a great feeling.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, I like those guys a lot.
1: Yeah, I've professed my love for those
0: guys on this podcast far too many times, but, you know, I can't say (laughs) it enough. They're just they're so they're 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 so great. And yeah, it's uh, I I think I've missed. uh, And and to piggyback on what you said, uh, the the touring lifestyle being such a sacrifice. um, Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it definitely is because I've missed baptisms. I've missed birthdays Uh, on this particular tour. I missed birthdays. Um, I've missed the last four out of the five Thanksgivings. Uh, -hmm. I've just, I, I find myself on tour for Thanksgiving all the time. And, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely, um, a sacrifice, but you know, if you have a great support system at home, uh, I'm super thankful. I'm super thankful to have a great support system at home. You know, I don't have to worry about what's going on at home far too much. And then especially like if I'm on the road with people that I enjoy being on the road with, you know, that just, it it makes it that much easier because, um, I won't name who it is, but there's one tour in particular that I just, I thoroughly did not enjoy myself and I could not get Mm -hmm. home any faster. Like just, I was counting down the days until I could get home.
1: And, you know, you, you know, as well as all of us know that, uh, especially from working in other camps where you do enjoy it and it goes well. It's not only that it's unfortunate that it's not going well at the time, but it's the knowledge that it could be going so much better. And it's just not for whatever yeah. reasons or for whoever is involved. And it can be very, very frustrating to be out there sacrificing this other, you know, all these other things we're speaking to.
2: Yeah. Knowing, knowing how good like experiencing, how bad it is and knowing how good it could be. Like, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sucks. Yep. Yeah. It's a,
1: it's always, I think a process of weighing all the factors that are involved, um, who you're working for, you know, of course the rate is an important part, but what the work is you're doing. And, um, for me, it's definitely a sum of many elements that have to kind of add up and and flow for me for it to make sense.
0: Yeah. Um, because, uh, and again, to piggyback on that, um, the next tour that I'm doing, I'm actually doing it as a drum tech slash bass tech. Oh, cool. And you know, I don't, I don't particularly enjoy drum teching. Mm-hmm. Uh, guitar is my guitar is my main instrument. I fuck I love guitars so much, Yep. but if it's for the right people, like I, I, I like to jokingly call myself a reluctant drum tech, like <laughs> I'll, I'll, fuck I'll do it. I'm yeah. Stealing that. But, yeah. Because, <laughs> because you're, you I'll do it. But you know, and so like Patrick from Ice Nine Kills, I'll, I'll tech. For, yep. I, I love him so much. I will tech for him anytime. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, uh, the next tour I'm working for St. Asonia again. I love those guys so much. Yeah. I'll drum tech. I'll set up a drum drum set. No problem. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's like somebody new, I might like, I might kick it around a little bit. I might like write out a pros and cons list, you know, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And if the pros outweigh the cons, then let's, uh, let's throw some symbols on some stands. Sure.
1: Sure. Yeah. It's a drum teching is a whole different beast, man. It's a I different mean, I'm, not animal. That I'm, not that I'm telling you that, but just for the sake of throwing it out and, you know, the midst of whoever ends up listening to the conversation, um, it's a completely different animal. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something that I'm still getting a grasp of the finer elements. I mean, I've, I worked at a, I worked at SIR in LA for several years when I was living in LA and so there's, I've set up tons of drum kits and, you know, done kind of the, the bigger task assembly portion, but man, when it comes to tuning and changing drum heads and, you know, it's so much different than with the guitar. There's, there's six tuners that are on a guitar, there's intonation and, and, you know, aside from a few different instances, that's about it. Yeah. Whereas every drum has two heads that you got to worry about and get in relation to each other. There's six to, you know, 10 lugs on each drum. And then all the drums need to then be in good relation to each other with the rest of them. And it's like, holy shit, man.
2: And everything has to be at a certain height, uh, certain, certain angles. Your guys like it. Like, you know, their drums flat. Some guys like it angled, symbols got to be yep. like you know set in like whatever direction the drummer wants them to go Are
1: you full backline
2: tech Jose? Uh no like all my gigs have been guitar teching but I can i do I do know the drums I I've played drums I took the drums when I when I went to school and so you know I know how to tune a kid and do all the things nice. but I've never had to I've never had to do that for work I never yeah. realized how physical drum
0: teching is like especially man. if you if you're on like if you're on a if you're like the opening act for an example uh and you know the trailer needs to be packed up right now so uh, and it's mm-hmm. just like well I gotta disassemble a drum set like I'm sorry this takes a bit. Yeah. Like
2: yeah. Yeah. man speaking speaking yep. of like drum teching we we have to bring out David Nestor who was doing Disturbed on the tour that I was on. Ooh. Uh because I know you saw that drum kit there and he had it's fucking massive. He had to put together <laughs> and take that apart every single day. Every part needed to like be disassembled. Dude, and that
0: is wild to me that the fact that they didn't, that they didn't have the space to just throw that in the truck as is. Nope. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, we're do we're doing that like Marco, uh, one of the best drum techs I know, Marco, um, yep. Big old shout out to Marco. Yeah, and and have you seen CC's new rack? No, it's a, nope. it's, it's. Uh, I'll send you a picture, but it's, uh it's inspired by uh, a, a Ray Luzier from Corn. Yep. Uh, and so it has like, God, it's there's there's, it is just an absolute beast, and um, Marco's the one that designed it, so I think he did that on purpose just for job security because oh. he's the only one yeah, that knows cool. how it goes together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Because there's one smart man, because there's there's one Trinity. There's a couple of Trinity dates. Uh, Marco is um, he's Italian uh, for the listeners who might not know. And there were a few Trinity dates where he had to where he had to dip out just because he was he's he's now a full U.S. citizen. But at the time he was going through the immigration process. And so he had to miss the Canadian dates. So it was Zach Mosier and I uh, guest on episode two, I think one or two, two or three. Uh, but Zach and I were like sitting there trying to figure out how the fuck to put together CC's drum set. <laughs> it was just, dude, it's like, it's a fucking beast. But yeah, Marco doesn't even take it apart. Like uh, he he breaks it down really? into two, into two four foot risers. And one of the four foot risers rides in the truck as is. The other one has like uh, the seat and a floor tom on it. And that's it. So he just takes that. He just takes that off.
1: What's the setup of like? What's your guys' setup? Are you? Is this a semi tour for you guys? Yeah, it's
0: uh, we're, yeah, it's uh, we're splitting a semi with uh, VV, and then uh, nice the the former lead singer of HIM, and it's mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you know, half and half. They take half, we take half, and then uh, there's no like shared production or anything. So, but VV is carrying very minimal stuff, and we have nice. a decent amount of production. But yeah, we're just. Uh, two buses, one semi, and then we have a semi for merch as well. Is it co-headliner? Co-headline, yeah. But we're closing every Sweet. night, so we're not we're not doing the flip flop thing.
1: Okay, dude, killer! That's a great setup for you guys. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jesse's still on merch, of course.
0: Oh, Je- Jesse's! I love him to death. He's a lunatic, but yeah, Jesse's out here.
1: <laughs> Man, you're yeah the your guys' crew is slamming right now. I I it's, love hearing this. It's true. It's truly an all-star crew. Yeah. 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 We got Marco, we got Kevin. Um, yeah, I'm super stoked to be a part of this crew. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm very, I'm very stoked for you guys. As we were talking at the beginning about, uh, you know, John at the helm, um, John was like really the first, um, sort of like pro level tour manager that I had the chance to work with. And my God, did he set the bar? Yeah. He's fucking
0: killer. He uh, he he had to miss the first week of dates, I think, because he was out with Mister Bungle, uh, oh, who yeah, is that's the, right. is um, Mike Patton, Scott Ian, and yep. Dave Lombardo's band. It's just like a fucking super group of super groups. Yeah, that's
1: so cool. Yeah, man, it's a it's a wild world how all these paths cross and how all these things come together. Oh, for sure, dude. It is the smallest world on the planet.
0: Yep, just that's like the fact squirrel. that we're, like even. <laughs> <laughs> even if I don't know you personally, like we'll have a mutual friend and it's just like, like, Oh, it was uh, in Mexico. Uh, actually you were the one that came up because, uh, I-, I told Kevin, our front of house guy that we were, uh, that I was on the Trinity tour and he was like, Oh, so, you know, Evan. And I was like, I fucking love Evan. <laughs> yeah.
2: And even, even, oh, if, you, even if you don't know each other, like, you know, you've heard, everyone's heard of everybody. Yeah. Yep. Well, Darren, I had the, I- I had the
1: pleasure of this happening on uh, this last run that I just did with Atreyu. Um, one of the opening bands was Another Day Dawn's, yeah. which oh, I understand shit. some of those guys are from your neck of the woods.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The homies. Um, God, yeah. They actually, in, in, a, in a fun circle, literally the first tour back from COVID uh, that I did was I was working for Dawn Point, And it was an Atreyu headline with Another Day Dawn's opening.
1: Oh, no way. Yeah, okay, and
0: so crazy. it was only like a week's worth of dates, and we actually, uh, it was like, I didn't get a lot of FaceTime with the guys just because it was like, we were doing the super strict bubble, like masks everywhere, and you know, mm-hmm. um, it was it was a wild time of touring. I'll cut this part out, but... Uh... So, um, another topic that I wanted to bring, uh, we're back in now. Um, so another topic that I wanted to bring up was actually, um, one of your recent gigs was working for the struts and, uh, you've gone semi viral with some, (laughs) with some of your videos. Um, and actually, uh, it's, it's funny, uh, uh, Sarah, the one that does the uh, voice intro for our podcast, she, uh, she shared a video of the struts playing in Philadelphia. And I think like, I forget which one it was. But like, uh, so for those of you who might have seen this video or one of these videos <laughs> floating around, the drummer for the struts like throws his sticks up in the air and, or he throws his hands and sticks up in the air and they stay there like that. And Evan was the one that was putting either a banana, two bananas or two hot dogs or I'll call them two pleasuring objects into, <laughs> into the drummer's hands before he throws them back. So, um, has that, has that, uh, I I guess it's, I don't know if I would consider a viral fame, but like, has, has any of that impacted your life at all? Just seeing these videos floating around.
1: Well, it's, it is very, very funny. Um, not least of which, because I don't actually use TikTok. Um, I've never, I've never had a TikTok. I've like, I just, it's kind of my, for better or for worse, um, my kind of line in the sand that I've drawn in regards to social media. So for the bulk of it, I didn't realize that that was a thing. Um, it wasn't until other people started hitting me up regarding it. Cause I knew that the videos were being made. Um, that wasn't the intention of doing, you know, that particular bit on stage. Um, but you know, I guess that's kind of what happens with viral things. You don't expect it sometimes, but no, I, it was just, it was funny to see how that came together because, uh, Gethin is the name of the drummer for the struts and that entire band and crew are again, fantastic people that I'm so fortunate to be able to work with and wonderful people. Very, very funny, very like fun camp to be around. And Gethin in particular is just like a little mischievous problem child, if you will. Um, Hell yeah. So there, there's a part in the set where they do that part where there's a final it's at the beginning of a song but they do this little intro and there's a hit that goes on where he th- throws his sticks up in the air and all the rest of the band goes statue until the singer Luke kind of addresses it back in and he used to not throw his sticks so for a long time he would just stop and he would raise his hands and uh it was just it was funny well it was his decision at one point he talked to me before the set and he was like, Hey, today when we do that thing, I want you to come behind the kit with an extra set of drumsticks, and I'm gonna throw my sticks up and replace them in my hands. And I was like, Okay, yeah, that'll be funny. So we did that. We did that for a few shows, and then I decided on my on my own choosing, I was like, I'm gonna get him with something else one of these times. <laughs> so I got a couple bananas from like, you know, from the writer or whatever and brought the bananas and the sticks with me so uh especially the banana video he had absolutely no idea that it was going to go on so his reaction <laughs> to to getting them was was completely completely genuine so um in the in the spirit of being the good performer that he is you know he kind of like threw them and then I replaced the sticks and so I just kept doing that from time to time with different items but it wasn't an every night thing and on none of the three occasions, was it something that I talked with him about before. So he had no idea that any of it was going to happen. So at first it was the bananas. Then it was the, uh, the hot dogs. And then it just kind of like, as the bit kept progressing, sort of everyone started chiming in and was like, well, eventually you're going to have to do, you know, these pleasure items. Right. right. Um, so for, <laughs> for the last, for the last show, um, our, tour manager and I kind of like banded together and he ordered in these preposterous (laughs) pleasure items, dude, like (laughs) foot, like foot and a half long had to have weighed like a pound and a half each. The fact that anybody uses those for anything other than a joke, I applaud them because they are intimidating even just to be around the real American heroes. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Not, not all of them. Not all of them wear capes. Um, but yes. So, so that ended up being for the uh, for the the last show. It finally happened. Um, but what was funny about when I would run into those videos on by the time they got to me on Instagram or people would DM me and be like, "Oh my god, dude, this is this is you that's in these videos," or. Um, I really knew that it was a thing when my brother, who farms in Nebraska, he's um, eight or nine years older than me, and absolutely does not use TikTok or use Instagram, or whatever. He texted me one night and was like, "I think you're viral on TikTok. Someone just sent me a video of you doing this." And I thought, "Oh, geez, this is a <laughs> this is a real thing." But I would I started reading some of the the comments um, on the Instagram, you know, ones that people would send me or that I would find. And some of it was pretty pretty funny because there was a lot of people who were giving other suggestions of things to do um one of the videos I sort of like pat get on the side and kiss him on the head after I replaced you know whatever in his hands, and people were like, "Oh my God, the little kiss like I love that." but some people would get on like were saying things like, "Man, great way to lose a gig or or like." geez, not a cool move. Could have really messed the drummer up or these sorts of things. And it was just, it was funny to see some people's outside perspective on the situation completely out of knowing what was really going yeah. on. Well, I mean, I could see, I could potentially see
0: like, if you don't have that kind of relationship with your artist, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Then I could, I could see where like something like that would be complete. Like if, if it's like day one for me in a gig and a drummer, like you know drops a stick and i'm just like oh shit and then i hand him a pleasure object and he's like what the fuck is this
2: <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. No, you, you definitely need yep. to know your artist that's that's a greyhound bus take yeah. get home i think like that's a that's a conversation we had uh with i think it was with zach Mosier way back when like about knowing like you know don't just like day one start doing <laughs> you know just kind of read the room for a second and yeah before you yep. attempt any of these things.
1: Well, you yeah. know, now that we're talking about this, it's not unlike when you jump into a hired gun playing position. Um, Day one, the thought process should be, however the songs sound, however they've given to you, you play them exactly like that. You play note for note what it's supposed to be, and then <laughs> as time goes on, sometimes there's opportunities where they say, okay, you know, here's a space to take some liberties, or like, we know that you got the parts kind of like make them your own a little bit, but it definitely is a process of sort of gaining that trust and gaining that communication. And I guess really mostly it's the, it's the trust factor that like, okay, we're now entering into this very professional performance tonight, but we have the understanding that there's going to be a little bit of playfulness to it. And, outside of the playful factor, I know that you're still going to do your job, how you're supposed to, and you're going to accomplish what needs to go on yeah. while having a little bit of like extra fun in the midst of it.
0: Yeah. If I'm walking to, into a gig day one, it's very meat and potatoes. You know, this is my task. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what I'm doing. I'll, I'll, I'll cite Patrick as another, uh, as another example. But like, as we, so as we started progressing in our artist tech relationship, Uh, I realized that Patrick was somebody that I could have a little bit of fun with, you know, where uh, and so like, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, exactly. And so like, you know, like, you know, the first week into the tour was just like, hey, uh, just a water by my drum set would be perfect. And then like slowly it was like, you know, man, I would love a white claw. I would love a white claw by my drum set. And Mm -hmm. so then like it started progressing into like, you know what, can I have two white claws? And then eventually like by, by the end of the tour, it was just like, I want a tiny bucket of ice. I want a cup of limes. <laughs> I want two white. And so I fucking did it. Like I found a, re- I, I couldn't, f- I want, I really wanted just like a tiny bucket because but he was joking. He didn't really want all this stuff, but he was just like, yeah, mm-hmm. fucking, I want a bucket of ice, a tiny bucket of ice. And I want a couple of limes. And so like, I was like, all right, cool. I couldn't find a tiny bucket. So I took a red solo cup and just gaff taped a handle And I put that and I I filled that with ice and I had that by his drum set. And so like, you know, Ice Nine, when they come out, they're wearing these masks and they're supposed to be like super scary. And, you know, they have this whole horror theme. And so like he walks over to the like he walks up to the drum set and he plays the first song and then he looks down at the bucket of ice. And I wrote I wrote Bucket O Ice on, on the side of it as well. And he just looks at me. He's, he's just like, what the fuck? And he just starts like laughing. And then Sully, uh, Matt Sullivan our our monitor engineer, he like, he taps me and he's like, Hey, Patrick's trying to get your attention. I was just like, I'm pretty sure he just sees the bucket of ice. And he's just, he's laughing <laughs> about it. And it's yeah. like you, you, there's certainly after you have an established relationship with your artist. Um, there's, there's certainly room for playfulness.
1: Definitely. Um, and or at least when those situations go on, it's a very fun environment to to be a part of. Um, yeah. Anybody who has seen an Atreyu show in the last you know year, especially. Oh, your can dance attest party. To the fact that there is I mean, there's when there's when it's a long set, there's like five different times throughout the set that I go out and dance with Porter. And I love you know, Porter so much. God, what a what a magical delightful human being. And it's it's it never is lost on me how wild that is that you know these guys who have been a band and are kind of like, you know, some of the OGs in the genre um who are still putting out great music and still putting on fantastic shows um have have me come out and do something like that multiple times during their set which is like the thing that they spend so much time and effort and energy to put together outside of the recorded music um so both for 29 year old evan and for 16 year old evan who is listening to you know a trailer like everybody else it's absolutely a wild um like fortunate blessing that i get to be a part of anything to that capacity with them and again it comes from the the level of trust that's been established and i i believe that you know it's not just that like they'll have me run bottles of tequila out on stage with them towards the end of the set and we'll all take a shot out of it and there's times when i go just do like Silly stuff. You know, they, they know that I'm going to hold down the part of the job that I need to hold down. And they give me the leeway to be a part of their show. And I could not be more fortunate for that.
0: Yeah. One of, one of my favorite parts of, uh, okay. So backing this up a little bit, um, no matter how much work I had to do, I'm uh, cause I, I'm, I'm such a huge, Atreyu you fan. Uh, I've listened to them for years and that's mm-hmm. that's probably another topic that we can talk about but is just like transitioning from fan to uh professional if that makes sense because oh, yeah. you know I've <laughs> yeah, listened sure. to I've listened to trade for years but like you know if you're on a tour with somebody that you've been a fan of for years like you have to act like you've been there before and so like mm-hmm. you you just got to kind of like center yourself and be like hey Darren nice to meet you but then like yep. you know like even if you're like that giddy little 16 year old kid. That's like screaming, bleeding mascara in, in your bedroom. Uh, now suddenly you're on tour with these dudes and it's just like, what the fuck is happening? But yep. one of my fa- one of, uh, I always made myself available to watch a you every single night because I am a fan. But another really cool thing was like for the last two shows of the Trinity tour that we were on together, was the uh was what well, I would call it a roadie jam, but it was essentially like members of Ice Nine, members of Motionless, and you on guitar. And then like yeah. just uh Travis and Kyle would just sit on the front in chairs and eat like a bucket of chicken wings while you guys were performing X's and O's. Uh Porter yep. would go out into the crowd. Um and Dan also just had a mic and he would just run around on stage and do his harmonies and stuff like that.
1: Yes. And um. I'm glad that you like mentioned that part because yeah, amidst all these different things that I get to do with these guys consistently, those particular shows, I mean that is that is completely wild to me still that that went on. And you know, I when those videos were floating around, you know, that night or the next couple of nights, I had so many people reach out to me and be like, "Dude, you did the like you just played Xs and Os with a Treyu. Like what the fuck is happening? Wild, right? <laughs> and I I thought the exact same thing um and it's also this has been this has been something that continues to be a factor and that I'm so appreciative for regarding the Atreyu camp but they they know that I'm a guitar player first and they are very s- supportive of that and um are very kind in their response to my abilities to play. And, um, you know, there's even times when Porter will have me, he'll during a song, will give me his bass, and I'll play the end of the song. And those kinds of things are because, um, they appreciate that. That's something that I do. That's outside of the job that I'm doing for them. And, you know, those guys will have said straight up before that, um, me teching for them is quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes with my fingers right now, but, uh, way beneath me because of, you know, the, the fact that I should be playing in a different context. So for those particular moments to go on at the end of Trinity, where it was a bit of a, especially for the tour, it was a bit of a super group that was going on. I mean, it was Ricky on guitar, Pat on drums, um, Brandon was still singing Porter was singing, you know, like you mentioned, but I was the only person in the midst of that group that was not playing in one of those bands and was, you know, a a crew member. And that there, that, that never, um, never struck me as anything lower than a huge compliment and a huge, you know, honor that I got to, got to do that. And they, suggested that i be the person who sort of jump into that spot.
0: Yeah. And what's what's fun about that is that uh Patrick told me that that was the first time he had ever played an actual drum kit with two bass drums. Oh yeah? Yeah. <laughs> nice. he, they, he was just like, "Yeah, I've always played double bass, but it's always been with a single bass drum." They, he's uh, uh well, you're about to do it in front of a crowd for the first time. So, uh good luck out there, bud.
1: He he should feel uh feel fortunate that they didn't have the triple drum kit. Or kick drum kit that they used to tour with. Oh, really? Yeah, I am. Um, I, I wasn't around for when they were doing this, but when Brandon was still playing drums, apparently for a very good portion of their touring career, he had a triple drum kit. Kit two were functioning, and one was operating as a uh, drink cooler. <laughs> oh, so <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I... so during the set, they'd walk over and open it up, and it would be like full of beers or whatever with ice in it. Uh, yeah, I heard about that. Oh, fuck. That's incredible. And you know this, Darren, from being um, around these guys, but there's not a single percent of the silliness or the bits and antics that go on on stage during an Atreyu show that is contrived or almost none of it is ever pre planned at all. You know, there's there's structures of the show. That are similar from night to night in regards to, um, you know, there's a couple of things that they'll do in in between the same songs night to night. But I would imagine that lots of times when people come and see the show and Brandon or Porter or Dan will say something like they'll do something and they'll say, wow, guys, that has never happened. Not only on this tour, but like I watched them break into a reggae version of one of their songs at a show on this last tour (laughs) And ha- afterwards, they were like, "It was actually in Fargo." And Brandon oh, no was sure. like, "Well, you guys just got something that no one has ever seen in a Trey You show before, and I have never heard them say that with it not being true." Their show is different every night. It's like a, it's like a stand-up comedy act in, in a little ways, in the sense that they are constantly playing off the audience listening, um, you know, making fun situations happen. There's birthday call outs that happen all the time. It's, it's insanity and it's all completely genuine and real.
2: Fuck. Yeah. I love that, man. Going, going back into playing with like people used to listen to, uh, Mm -hmm. last time my last, last year I did with seven does was opening for Alter bridge and Alter bridge and Mark Giamatti were like, you know, Get the guitar player, one of the guitar players that I would listen to uh back when I was learning to play guitar uh and on the first day uh Miles had had missed his flight so he didn't get into the first day of tour so he was gonna miss uh VIP uh so at one point Mark comes up and he asked Miles' guitar tech hey like you want to come up and like play Miles's parts uh you know we need uh we need to like do sound check and whatnot and he's like oh, i'm too busy you know they want to have all these things but jose jose knows the songs and i'm like i mean i know like a few riffs but i don't know the songs they say like, oh what? and so mark comes up and then he has oh w- which ones do you know and i'm like i know that that one riff from isolation and that one riff from silver tongue and he's like, all right come on so yeah like we took like a few minutes to he taught me like the rest of the songs and then i kind of like did sound check with Alter bridge and then that's so cool and then all of a sudden i hear mark all right send them in so like the vips came in and then i we played the songs again for the vips and that was nerve-wracking but it was also insane that <laughs> i got to play guitar with Alter bridge Dude, that is so cool
0: the, something like that almost happened to me because um, when I was filling in for uh, Jose on Seven Dust, uh, Clint missed uh, either missed his flight or his flight was delayed. I forget what his situation was, but they were about to do the VIP uh, and part of the VIP was watching soundcheck. And so like there were very loose discussions of like, well, Darren, do you know any Seven Dust songs? And I was like, and part of the VIP thing is like you watch two songs for um, for mm-hmm. soundcheck. check. And so I was just like, uh, we can play praise twice. (laughs) It's the the only seven to song that I know. And so, uh, thankfully, like we didn't, we weren't put in that situation and Clint actually ended up making it on time for VIP, but it was just like, it was a, it was like a, "Uh, this might happen
1: situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, those moments happening are good incentive to have at least like a couple of songs in your back pocket in, in case something like that were to, were to go on, you know, especially if you're a fan already and kind of like have the songs conceptually in your, like you already have an ear for them. Um, as another thing, I I know that you had, um, the great Justin Keir on this podcast at one point. The greatest dude ever. And I think that he referenced, um, when on the tour earlier in the spring, when, um, Kyle's wife was having her baby and Kyle had to leave. So Justin got called up the morning of to rip the whole set, which he did. And he absolutely annihilated because Justin is an absolute beast. He's a
0: monster and a lovely human being.
1: Yeah. And what was, what was also great for me about that situation was that during their headlining sets, they would do a song where, they would kind of go old school and Kyle would get off the kit and play bass and Brandon would jump on the kit and play drums. And so in the throes of everybody talking about, you know, Justin getting called up to do play drums. um, Our merch girl, Heather mentioned to me, she was like, well, guess that means you're playing bass for bleeding mascara. And I was like, holy shit. I think that I hope that's what it means. And sure enough. So for the last the last show i played the entirety of bleeding mascara with you know a tree and that's fucking so crazy yeah
0: i don't i i really should like spend a bit more time like getting more familiar with the catalog of the artists that i work with just in case like something were to happen and it's like oh shit well let's either cancel the show or fill in but like yeah. there was there was even a moment where like, you know, we were on show four of five on this run, and they were very, very clearly joking. I'd like to state that for the record. Yeah. But just but just like the two guitar players for uh Blackville, they were just like, Darren, we're tired. Do you want to play this set? And I was like, Nope. You gentlemen, rest <laughs> up because you got a show tonight. <laughs> yeah.
1: Truth. I mean, stepping into uh, certain shoes like that where the I mean they have some insanely intricate parts that go on. And and that's not to say that, you know, a band like a tree doesn't because they do as well. I just sort of lucked out that in my case, it was on base for a song and that Dan and Travis could still hold down their parts. But I mean, it'd be a tall order to step into either one of those guys with BBB shoes to knock out a set on one day of getting it together. You'd honestly probably have better luck just like going out into the, like, you know, just
0: at the beginning of the set being like, does anybody know any of these songs? <laughs> yeah, that, no kidding. You that would probably for sure. That would probably be the better the the better option than me filling in. Cuz like those 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 guitar parts, I didn't realize it, but those guitar parts are on the next level.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, those guys are great. Um and you know, I'm realizing now that I didn't actually answer uh your original question that got us talking about this, so I will kind of briefly um, as far as stepping into a role where you're working for a band that you are a fan of or have been a fan of their their music. There are two major factors for me individually that um I kind of attribute some of my ability to do that to. Um, because I was absolutely excited jumping into that, but honestly, I was a little bit more preoccupied with being slightly freaked out that I had never guitar teched before and I was about to fly into a tour that was already going on with a band like atreyu um but from my my dad has worked in the business or the business end of the music industry for my whole life um in the form of in lincoln when i was younger he used to be the event coordinator at the auditorium that was in town so he would book all the concerts and you know the circus and the you know monster truck rallies and stuff that would come in there. So, um, I just kind of grew up going there and going to shows. And, um, like my first concert that I went to was Alice Cooper when I was, um, 12 or 13 years old. And my dad knew the promoter that was working it. So before the meet and greet after the show, like we got to go back and meet Alice in his dressing room personally before the actual meet and greet went on. So, um, without realizing it when I was younger um, I in that way just kind of grew up a little bit around the savviness that goes into you know kind of working in those contexts and even though lots of these concerts that I would go to are these people that um, we would cross paths with which was more so people who were on the back end Um, the example of meeting Alice Cooper was kind of like an outlier. It wasn't like when we would go see Motley Crue, we'd be hanging out with, you know, Tommy Lee and shit backstage or anything, but it was just kind of being immersed in really high level show situations and watching how my dad would communicate with people, him telling me kind of the ins and outs of the, what to do's and what not to do's that, that, as I got further into my own musical career and kind of was climbing the rungs of uh the professional ladder was learning that that those are lessons that have to be learned uh kind of on your own a lot of the time and without being exposed to it it can be kind of a bumpy road of figuring out so you know before I ever hit a professional stage I was well aware of the concept of like especially as an opener you get your shit on as fast as possible and you get your shit off as fast as possible. And kind of the, uh, the beauty of being, being around when it's time for you to be around and being the fuck out of the way when it's time for you to be the fuck out of the way, these kinds of lessons, I was realizing that I was already a little bit privy to, um, from being around what my dad was doing. And then the, the other factor would be working at, SIR for the uh, four or so years that I did because I got the opportunity to be around and work with, you know, absolutely top level um, artists that were in there all the time. I mean, my, my second ever quote unquote gig um, as an audio tech was running, uh, running front of house and rehearsals for kiss for two days at SIR um and so mainly for myself some of that um not that it's any less cool or less crazy to me about these people that I have gotten to and continue to get to work with especially that I have so much respect for musically um was just kind of from getting the out of the ordinary opportunity to be around those kinds of situations quite a bit earlier than a lot of people typically have access to oh man dude
0: i could talk to you for hours (laughs) (laughs) agreed but uh but i don't want to take up too much of your time uh do do either one of you have anything final you'd like to to say before we hop off this
1: i would just like to say thank you guys for having me on Um, dude our pleasure i i have seen you know a handful of our other friends doing your podcast since Um, you know, we met and started following each other on Instagram and I always thought that this would be a really fun thing to do together. Um, fuck yeah. It's been far too long since I've gotten to see and talk to you, Darren. So I was looking forward to that opportunity as it was. And yeah, you know, just for whatever it's worth as this year wraps up and we kind of head into 2024, um, I am very interested and open for all new kinds of, you know, work opportunities, both gig wise and playing wise, and always looking to work with great people. Um, so if you guys ever hear anything that's going on that you think I w- would be like an interesting fit for, or could help somebody out with, um, I would love to be in mind and I will absolutely have both of you fine gentlemen and in, in mind as well for such things. Dude, fuck
0: yeah. I've, I've hit you up a few times if I needed coverage and it's just like time, like you're, 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 you're a very in demand dude. So it's always like, ah, man, I can't, I'm busy. Like, so I, I will never stop. Uh, you're always going to be one of my first on my list.
1: You as well, buddy. And Hey, I actually, to, I have one quick question for you, um, regarding that, that I'm, I've been asking around about it. I'm curious about with, along with being somebody who, um, is working so often and so consistently, How do you go about maintaining in, you know, we're talking about the revelancy of staying in people's minds. How do you um, continue to be so consistent with working while sort of allowing people to still know that you're open for new work and that you're not just, you know, busy all the time? As soon as you find that out, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) I wondered if that would maybe be the answer.
2: Yeah, man, no, that's, that's, I'm not sure there's, there is an answer for that. Basically, it's just, you know, keep your network, you know, in, you know, communicate to your network, you know, as best you can. And, yeah. uh, honestly, yeah, most calls I have to turn down, <laughs> uh, yeah, because, you know, once you get one tour, you got to let all the other ones know that you can't do all their tours. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't I don't think there's any real way to get around that. Cause you're either busy or you're not. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the true. way to find out is yeah. just, I guess like whenever you get asked, you know, just kind of uh, be a professional about saying no, I think that's like, that's actually really important. Uh, like how you turn them down and just let them know to like, hit you back up, you know, whenever they need. And yep. then, always like try to keep that door open. Yep. I think that's a great point. Yeah. Cause like, like, you know, just kind of like shove them aside. Like people will stop hitting you up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess
0: like, all because I like, I like being busy, but you know, I also do enjoy my downtime. I just, I have a lot of guilt. I feel a lot of guilt whenever I turn down a a job or a gig, Mm -hmm. just simply because like, I know, I know if somebody turns me down, it's, it's going to be like, I'm just going to be like, fuck, if I ask them again and they say no, like my heart's just going to be broken. And I don't know if I want to go through another broken heart, but yeah, like, yeah.
1: <laughs> but like
0: but I mean, like, I, I don't, and I don't know why I feel that way because, you know, just it, perhaps like, you know, just, especially since a lot of the times when I get asked uh, to help fill in a position on a tour, it's, it's usually a very short turnaround And it's just like uh, there was one that I was trying to find uh, the beginning of late September or late August, early September. And the tour started the first week of September. And it's just like I've asked I've asked a bunch of people for it. And one of the people that I asked was just like, dude, I need like I got a life, man. I got I need three months notice at least for a tour that long. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's so. Man, I don't I don't know, because like the instant that you start appearing not busy is when people are like, hey, what's going on with this person? You know?
1: Yeah. True. But then it's like
0: th- like then as soon as you appear too busy, it's just like, ah, I can't ask him. He's busy. hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah, I guess I guess it is just a matter of communicating when you're. Yeah. Just like being like, strong about consistent communication.
0: Like I'll make a cozy account and I'll share it with anybody and just I'll throw all my
1: tour dates in there.
0: And if it's just if it's open, like here you go, book it.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep. That's like that's a a good method as well.
0: Google calendar something. I don't know. Maybe we can all share maybe Master Tour can come up with something where we're all sharing each other's Master Tours. I would actually love that if like you could That's share that idea at all. If you could like share your master tour schedule into like some other program and like, perhaps it's like, Oh, you're both going to be in Lincoln, Nebraska on this date. And then you can meet up with the homies instead of finding out the day after that, your friend was also in the same city. And it's just like, why didn't we fucking do anything?
1: Dude, that is a fantastic idea.
2: <sighs> Gotta talk to master tour.
0: Yeah. Master tour hit us up and sponsor the podcast too. God damn it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no kidding.
1: <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, thank you guys. I, I I really appreciate you guys having me on here today. This was fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, yeah, I'll be seeing you guys soon.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. And please, um, please give my love to all of the all the wonderful people in the BVB camp. I will do.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna kiss Kevin right now for you. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> please mouth, do aggressively.
1: Yeah. yeah ask him he might not remember this ask him about him aggressively kissing me on the mouth on ship rock this year he definitely will not remember that <laughs> i think you're probably right um which actually that was that was our first kiss and i told him i didn't want to do it then because he was drunk and he wouldn't remember it <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck anyways you guys take care of yourselves
1: all right you too. Yep, you guys as well Thank you guys Take it easy See you soon
2: Thank you for listening To the Roadie Friday Podcast Have a question or an idea? Email us at roadiefridaypod at gmail.com Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe So you
0: never miss an episode Theme music by Ricky Armolino Editing and production by Darren Makins